0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, this special topic Thursday, where we are set to engage some uh, pretty important subject matter. Uh, this Thursday, this evening, I have asked the station manager, Andrew Palmquist, to join me. Uh, he has joined me before. And once again, I have asked him to join me because we were in a conversation last week that I thought was uh, pretty interesting. So, Andrew, Uh, Welcome. It is great to have you with me another Thursday evening.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's good
0: to be here. So, Andrew, last week we were talking about this experience of being exiled, this experience of the cross that we might not always think about as an experience of the cross. And so what I wanted to do this evening was talk about that experience of being exiled for what we stand up for, But really, to do so, and to do this right, I thought we need to first talk about the cross. Uh, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Now, 2,000 years later, we hear that, and yeah, we pick up our crosses and we follow Jesus. But what does that mean to the person 2,000 years ago hearing this for the first time? In the light of what the cross was 2,000 years ago, the cross was what but the symbol of death and destruction. The cross was the instrument used for the most brutal death, arguably, in human history. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, Hmm. if I'm hearing this for the first time, I'm saying to myself, how odd is that? What in the (laughs) world (laughs) could Jesus possibly mean when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, pick up death and destruction and follow you? What does that mean? You know, so once we get into the, I think, historical context, we might better grapple with the significance of what he says when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. To the least of which brings us to the discussion, Andrew, on what the cross was for Jesus, the supreme act of love. He takes the symbol of death and destruction, and as he's nailed to that symbol of death and destruction he turns the symbol upside down to turn it right side up, and what we are made to see is that the cross is unconventional. The cross is paradoxical, which is to say, once you think you have the cross figured out, or once you think you have this whole thing we call love figured out, there might be something more, because that's what Christianity reveals to us. Mm.
1: And, and I think that there's a uh, necessary balance and also a necessary dichotomy within both of those, just that as far as Satan's perspective, that was his victory day. Mm-hmm. You know, he had successfully condemned the Son of God to death. And as far as the religious leaders, they saw that as their victory day. They had successfully riled up the crowd to to push this innocent man to death. And I think a lot of times when we see, even from a distance, a fellow Christian or somebody that's been wrongly accused we can see from a distance that it looks like satan is having his way it looks like satan has is victorious and god likes to take these things and it's it's not only in the new testament it's not only with christ but it's almost i would say with every biblical character start starting in genesis with adam and eve yeah, yeah. but and all throughout the bible god will take something that is uh, by definition, sinful. By definition, wrong. And and looks like Satan has his whole has wielded his power over God. Yeah. And God will take that vi- not not just the things surrounding it, but God will take that very act and flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was in every sense sent, sentenced to death for our sins, abandoned by the Father on the cross, and He lived in that very moment and had to say. My God, why have you forsaken me? And not only that, but he then is sentenced to death in Hades, where then he leads captivity captive. And, and each each of those stages, Saint, Satan is, at that moment, happy. He, he's rejoicing. You know, God, God is outside of time, but Satan is not. Yeah, yeah. And so Satan is feeling that he's victorious in each of those sentences. As, as Jesus says, My God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the um, the curtain in the temple rips from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. But Satan sees himself as having conquered... I, I don't know what his end game was there, but he, he saw that necessary evil was Christ, and he had conquered it.
0: Yeah, and as you bring Satan into this conversation, something to realize, Andrew, is that Satan is supremely intelligent, but he is not humble. Mm-hmm he is not wise. Uh, maybe better said, he is not wise because he is not humble. I think of the temptation in the desert. There, he he looks at the Son of God who, for all intents and purposes, he has just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So one can only imagine what he looks like on the outside, but what Satan doesn't see is what's going on in the inside. He's being made stronger, right? So his perception is that now is the time to come in and swoop. And of course, we have the three great temptations. But what he doesn't realize ultimately is that by virtue of his fasting, he was made stronger. What Satan sees isn't always the reality of what is going on in the interior. And now fast forward to the cross, he sees what's going on on the surface, Mm -hmm. on the outside, but what he doesn't see is the interior offering of our Lord this extraordinary act of love, the greatest act of love in human history. And I think what's important for us, Andrew, is that we are to be reminded that in light of this, it is our own acts of love that are related to it, Mm. mysteriously connected to it. And by that, I mean mysteriously connected to the cross. I mean, we can read about the cross, Andrew, and come to understand elements of it for sure.
1: Well, that's a very good point, Joe. And when, as you say that, it brings to me the memory of Jesus looking at the Pharisees as as they're casting lots for his clothing mm. and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. So even, even right before the sins of the world were placed on his shoulders, he's asking for forgiveness for mm. those that are the ones condemning him to the cross and to that tribulation that he had to suffer that you know in all in all ways he was tempted and, and I would say probably more even than, than we can bear
0: yeah and so we read about this and we can learn from it and we're drawn to it because of the uniqueness of it the the greatness of it but Andrew <laughs> it's only when uh, I think life pins us to our own crosses those crosses we cannot wiggle free from, that we catch a more profound whiff of the great mystery of the cross. Mm. And, and what does the cross teach us about our acts of love? I mean, this is really the question, I think, before us. Love is surrender. Love is sacrifice. Uh, love is painful. Mm. Love hurts. This is the kind of thing that uh, belongs to the mystery of the cross. And as we begin to grapple with this out from our own experience of the cross, mm. we then can maybe better discern, better understand the call in the why we are to unite our own suffering with the cross of Christ. Because, yeah, if we look at the cross and we see the cross as, as that which teaches us to surrender, that which teaches us to sacrifice, that which reminds us it's something painful... We can all identify with that, Mm. right? There's what I like to call a spiritual physics to the cross, right? Where there's a loss, there's a gain. Where there's death, there's life. Where there's a perceived subtraction, there's actually an addition, Mm -hmm. right? The mathematics of God. I mean, the cross is the supreme uh, symbol of love.
1: And so when I look at the cross, I don't just see the physical pain. I don't just see that he had been... He'd been bleeding from stress only hours before and had a crown of thorns placed on his head and just ex- extreme amounts of physical pain. But also the scripture says, strike, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't only in physical pain, but all of his disciples had betrayed him and left. Yeah. And so he's, he's, and then he has to be crucified, not just by strangers, but he's crucified by his own people. And I think we see that a lot in Christian circles, where we we shoot our wounded, or somebody will have a, a fault or a failure, and then we don't we don't see the redemption, um, or maybe they don't even fail. Maybe there's just just a, a rumor, or there's other other problems going on that we're not aware of, but we tend to oust or ostracize people when they, you know. the God may be testing them, or or trying them, or they may be going through their own tribulation.
0: And what's important about that, Andrew, as we talk about our experience of the cross is, yeah, it's not just physical, it's relational. And ultimately, when push comes to shove, and, and St. Thomas Aquinas makes the same point, that Christ's experience of suffering was perfect, mm-hmm. just not physically, but also in relationships. And so when we... Suffer in our own relationships, we are then called to unite that suffering with the mystery of the cross. Mindful that, yeah, what did he say on the cross? Or what did you just talk about, Andrew? Mm -hmm. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's saying that to the very one who he came for, to the very one who he became a gift for. Right. You know, I, I think many of our listening audience, Andrew, have the experience of being hated by the very one they were going out of their way to love or serve, right?
1: Right, and that—that's the exact temptation that the last temptation that Satan brings in—in in the wilderness is that if he bow, if if Christ would bow down and worship Satan, then he would become the ruler of his people, which is was the heart of Christ. He said, "I, I want to be received by my people," and then Satan. Not only does he tempt him by offering, say, worship Satan and I'll give you what you want. You know, maybe you'll forfeit the kingdom and you know eternal life if that were possible. But then at the end, Christ has to watch as he, at that moment in time, again I say that Satan is bound by time, where God is outside of time. But at that moment in time, Satan is seeing God's people crucifying God's Christ, and and. Jesus was at that moment in time as we are, and he had to feel every bit of that betrayal and every bit of that the, the pain and the burden and the sin that was placed on him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it, there, but there was nothing wrong in that desire for Christ to be received by his own people. But Satan went and turned that good into an evil and used it to condemn him, even though in the end, ultimately God will or Christ will be received and he will be seated on the throne but for that moment so we're we're talking about a christian's walk and they may be maybe they may be crucified they may be slandered they may have to carry their cross daily and and we see them from a, a window of time and we don't necessarily see the plan of god or we can't we can't interpret or the ultimate goal is but we see this little sliver of time That maybe they're testing, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so I and that's that shouldn't be received as abnormal. It should be considered normal within the body of Christ, and it's really
0: not. I mean, what you're saying here, Andrew, is so often, you know, we talk about the Christian faith, and we're not talking about the normalcy of being persecuted, the normalcy of walking this narrow path, which Mm. suggests a persecution. What do we read in? Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, but Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We mm. have to remember, this passage, Matthew 5, verse 11, comes at the end of the Beatitudes. This essentially is the last mm. Beatitude. Beatitude coming from the Greek makarios, which means to be in favorable standing with God. If you want to be in favorable standing with God, you have to bear witness <laughs> to the truth of God. The Beatitudes are really the charter for holiness. They, they kickstart a, a section in the Gospel of Matthew, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. So why do I bring all this up? Because this is quintessential to living the call of holiness. This is foundational. You know, Andrew, so often in, in our preaching, we hear, serve the poor, give alms, so on and so forth. Rightfully so. Jesus himself talks about that. But interestingly enough, he talks about it after the Beatitudes, because what he wants us to understand is that the Beatitudes are absolutely foundational. In other words, being persecuted is elemental to our faith. We are going to have plenty of opportunity to bear witness to our faith. But at the same time, we are also (laughs) going to experience in exile. Right, and maybe not necessarily in exile for speaking truth. You know, maybe it's speaking truth on behalf of the unborn that we're all called to do. Right, but also standing up for principle. Maybe it's in the workforce. Someone has has done something that's well not moral. To so, say, hey, that's not okay. Exactly. And to ultimately be okay with that, even if that means, well, being persecuted. I think far too often, Andrew, we are more concerned with what people think and not what God thinks. Ultimately, our earthly reward, whatever that looks like, versus our heavenly reward. This means many things for us, Andrew, in our everyday walk. This means many things. And so if we are being exiled, if we are being isolated... If we feel abandoned, Mm -hmm. guess what? You are sharing in the mystery of the cross. Because as you've already highlighted beautifully, Andrew, this was part of the experience of the cross. I wanted to bring in the cross from the outset because what I wanted us to understand is the importance of our exile, our isolation, our abandonment as something that we can unite with Christ on the cross, Mm and and we
1: know that through scripture that satan desires to sift us like wheat and he he roams to and from on the earth seeking that those those that he may devour and i i believe specifically that our persecution is directly juxtaposed to the amount of contrast that we draw in the culture so if we see something evil and we stand up against it now we've now we've created natural um uh, friction we've mm-hmm. created an, a natural friction now if you go with if you see the evil and you just go along with it then you've avoided that persecution then in the the two you know we say blessed are you when people insult you and, and persecute you but before that Jesus also says be wary when when people say good of you yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the people that just go right along with the culture they're probably just fine and a lot of Christians are saying well there's no persecution this you know easy easy believism and let's just praise the Lord and have perfect things happen and everything's, you know, bl- blue skies and rainbows yeah, and, yeah. and w- what we feel like we're promised with that uh, flashy presentation of the gospel that some churches will give. And then you actually read scripture, you actually draw a contrast in the culture, and then you f- you realize that now you're isolated. Now your friends have fallen away from you. Now you're having insults hurled at you. Now you're you know, having terrible things said about you, and business relationships, personal relationships aren't turning out well because you're drawing such a contrast. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a scriptural contra- contrast; it can just be standing up for truth, yep. yep, or refusing to back down to certain demands, yep. And that's the contrast that we should show, and it's it's something that happens all throughout Scripture. I'm, I'm reminded of of David where he says in Psalms in Psalms 23 verse 4 though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil mm-hmm. but there's there's action words there he has to walk through that valley and God isn't going to save you from your valley he will walk with you but it's through that pain that we do most of our growing and most of our learning and that's most impactful and we as Christians we love the mountaintop experience we love to go, you know, go see God on the mountain, have rejoice, have a great worship service, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to realize that we get to that mountaintop by walking through the valleys. Amen. And it's just it's something that's normal and that shouldn't be regarded as uh, you know some some people may see what is normal as far as uh, sowing and reaping, and they may insinuate that your tribulation is because you did, you know, as they did with Job, your tribulation is because you've cursed God, or you've done something wrong, and now you should repent of your sin. Yeah. But that tribulation actually is normal, or should be normal to all Christians that draw a contrast with the culture.
0: God chastens those whom he loves. Mm. He journeys with those whom he loves, right? Hebrews 12, 6. As you were talking, Andrew, the one thing that strikes me, is what are we saying here? We're talking about in the end, what any loving relationship looks like, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about the valley, you know, we're talking about the cross. This is what any courtship looks like. What is love? Well, it's, it's to will the good of the other for the sake of other. And God understands, Jesus understands what our good looks like. He understands it a whole lot uh, more than we do. So he journeys with us in the valley, and as he journeys with us in the valley, he reveals to us that there are things going on here on earth that you have to understand are not necessarily what you think you understand. Um, And so he can only reveal these things to us the more we journey with him, the more we witness to him. And, And that's an important point, I think. If we don't bear witness to him, if we don't stand up for truth, whether it be, on the front of pro-life or, Andrew, in that business relationship, then we are missing out on some aspect of God that He wants to reveal to us. But see, that's why your point about the valley is so important. Mm -hmm. He's revealing Himself to us. And yes, He reveals Himself to us up on the mountaintop, the mountain of the Transfiguration, but what came right after that? The valley. Mm -hmm. And so we see the valley in light of that. It's interesting. You use the word contrast, and what did I speak to earlier but the Beatitudes as the charger for holiness? The word holiness literally translates in the Hebrew as to be set apart, mm. to be set apart. So if you are living in God, then you will be set apart from the world, right? Even the word church, uh, the Greek word for church that we read in Matthew 16, 18, ecclesia, um, we typically translate it as assembly of believers, but the, the Greek there is uh, to be called out from. To be called out from, so as to be called out to, to be called out for, right? So you're, you're called out from the world, now for God and, and the mystical body of Christ, the people of God. We are just not a, a sign of contradiction, we are a, a walking perpetual contradiction, you know, when we are walking with God. And this is what lies before us when we talk about being persecuted. And we do have to have this understanding, Andrew, that when we are isolated, we are intimate with Christ on the cross. Amen. If we can get that point for everything that we have shared this evening, we, I think, will be well on our way, because in my many conversations that I've had with people they feel that's when when they are farthest from Christ. Mm. But look at Elijah. <laughs> you mentioned Job, look at Elijah. Uh, there he was. I mean he he was ready to take his own life there in the wilderness. And that is when he heard God speak to him in that still quiet mm. voice.
1: Mm. That's another uh, good point.
0: You know, but. it's it's when we think we are farthest from him. Right. In the Catholic Church, we have this tradition Uh, this contemplative tradition, which speaks to this, Andrew, and they call that the dark night of the soul. And the whole idea there is when you think you are farthest from God, when you think you are experiencing that most profound darkness, that's actually when you are closest to God. And the idea there in principle is when are lovers most intimate? Not to be too provocative here, but in the darkness. Mm. And so what we are made to see is that there is this paradox going on. And here again, we're talking the stuff of paradox. The cross, from the outsider's view, looks like the darkest day in human history. And on a level, it was. Mm. But why do we call it Good Friday? Mm. I can never say no one doesn't understand because someone does understand. That's right. You know, it's interesting. Andrew, and maybe we'll close with this, we choose to use a word in our experience of pain, suffering, trial, that points us back to the cross, and that word is excruciating.
1: Mm. And there's no shortcut. There really isn't.
0: There isn't. And why do I bring this up? Because what does that word mean? Ex cruces. Mm. Right? In the Latin, from the cross. Mm. So Jesus says, "I am going to pass through the most excruciating death in human history that you might share your most excruciating pain you're experiencing with me." He
1: won't save us, but he will walk with us through. Yes. It.
0: The cross isn't an antidote to pain, right, but a revelation of what to do with it. Mm. Well, Andrew, we are out of time. Uh, thank you for joining me. I thought this was um, a pretty life-giving uh, 27, 28 minutes, We could probably talk a whole lot more. I think I know, we could. Yeah, this is subject matter that I have talked about on more than one occasion, but certainly I thought you brought a lot to this evening, so thank you for the gift of your time. Yeah. And uh, I just
1: like to give people hope that when they are in their darkest hour, that God, God is there offering redemption, and He, he will hold you back but you know he he's going to test you and satan's going to sift you but only to the point that you can bear and yeah. that's where we look back to Christ
0: and we can do it all by the power of the holy spirit yeah. who is the light of god's love and i i conclude with that point andrew because uh, maybe we're saying to ourselves right now it's just getting so dark mm. but what we have to remember but what we have to remember is that the greater the darkness, the greater our light shines, the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.